Hello, everybody. This is Pastor Dale Walker. I want to welcome you to our leadership podcast. We are looking at how to become leaders that lead like Jesus. I'm excited to have you listening. If you want the notes on this, you can get them at dalewalker.life. There's also a lot of other resources to help you grow in your leadership. Share this with someone if you are blessed. I know you will be. God bless you. Well, again, welcome everyone as we continue this uh, series on building the church from the ground up. Today, we're going to talk about uh, church governance. The Bible has a lot to say about how how the Lord wants his church governed. Uh, This has to do with how a church is led, how decisions are made, um, who is accountable, and how we protect the members and the assets of our ministry. Uh, from harm or being mishandled. And um, just, just a few things, background. This whole idea of navigating and teaching how spiritual authority works is key on so many uh, areas. Uh, when we think of authority, we know that the Lord has designated four different uh, kinds uh, or or structures for authority. Obviously, there's governmental authority, We know Romans 13 talks about that. There's family authority. Uh, Honor your father and mother. There's church authority is what we're going to talk about today. Jesus ordained the church on this church. Uh, On this rock, I will build my church. And he talks about what we bind on earth as as a church. And of course, there's personal authority. What we're going to give an accountable to the Lord for our own choices and actions and, and this is extremely important because we need to know uh, what our authority is and where we're to live under authority. And, and in this particular area, there's a lot of discussion. When is the government overstepping the authority of the church and, and so forth? We want to be sure that as we exercise spiritual authority in the church, we don't lord it over people. We don't take the right for them to, to make personal decisions, or we don't act like a mother and father for a family. All of those things are important. But what we do know is un, being under authority is incredibly important because we only have authority uh, by being under authority. And this whole idea of people being accountable is, is so huge. Uh, we know that to those who are given much, much is required. I like to think of it the other way around. To a person who's willing to require much of themselves, much will be given to them. If we will really take on the responsibility to say, God, I'm going to be accountable. I'm going to be responsible. That's how we get more authority in, in the kingdom of God. Um, we also know that as, as we lead people in the church, uh, and as we raise up disciples, that teaching them the right view of spiritual authority is incredibly important. Um, the Bible warns us about people who who will not be under authority and, uh, and, and rebellious people. And here's one thing I like to teach. We believe very importantly that people who are released to minister among us must have the right views and attitude towards the spiritual authority. People should know that being released to minister depends upon their commitment to God and church leadership demonstrated by their agreement to membership expectations 
and their alignment with the vision and authority structures that are put in place. I put in your notes, sheep come through the gate, but wolves always try to jump the fence. <laughs> and, and many of us have experienced that. True disciples, they want to be under authority and, and they want to be a part of the vision. And so that's an incredibly important thing for us to articulate uh, how spiritual authority works. Now, how we make decisions in an organization is extremely important. That has to do with governance. Your decisions will determine your destiny. If you set up a structure where, where the right people are making the right decisions and there's the right accountability for those decisions, then chances are your organization will be healthy and it will endure a long time. This idea of church governance, I know this doesn't sound very exciting, but this is part of what we've been saying is the unseen uh, part of building the church from the ground up. There is both the internal side and there's the external side. There's things that everybody sees. There's preaching and worship leading. But the internal part is just as important. As you know, in your physical body, there's more to you that's not seen than that is seen. And, and in fact, in many ways, the unseen parts of your body are more important to you living than a lot of the outward things. And that's the same thing with the church. Most people will never see the structure of the church. But the truth is that governance and structure is the background, rather the backbone. This is the, this is the backbone of the church. And if it's not right, uh, nothing in the church is going to be right. And I, I, I want to say this because I know a lot of us are, are, in the way I was wired, especially if you're a church planter, you naturally tend to think a lot more about the external things like the preaching versus the internal things like government, elder bodies, whatever. I, I like to say it this way. People like me are, are much more concerned about the train than the train tracks. <laughs> but wouldn't you agree if there's not good train tracks, <laughs> the train is going to be in a bunch of trouble. I also feel this is important. You know, we, we know that over some average, some 70% of church plant efforts don't succeed. And I think a lot of the reason for that is that we become very focused on the external, but we don't have a good enough foundation. And, and government is a big part of that. And, and a lot of church plants end up just kind of becoming what's called a preaching point. They're conducting services, but are they really building an organization that's going to last beyond their lifetime? And, and that's what we're talking about this. Paul emphasized church governance as key to church planting and church growth. In the book of Titus, chapter 1, verse 5, Paul commands Titus, he says, put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every city. You know, Jesus made it clear that for a church to function and to be birthed, it's going to depend on, on putting in place the right kind of leadership. The Bible often refers to as elders or, or shepherds, uh, deacons. All of that is a part of that. In fact, I just want to make this note, especially for those of you who are going to be church planters. Jesus, when he would talk about his missional activity, he referred to in one place in King James, it's called the man of peace. This is a very important term in Luke chapter 10. 
verse 6, it talks about this. It talks about uh, Jesus saying, disciples, when you go into a town, uh, the first thing you do is find the man of peace and, and then begin to minister. You know, if you don't find a man of peace, just keep moving on. This idea of a man of peace is, is all through the Old Testament. Uh, Melchizedek was first one described as a, a man of peace that Abraham highly recognized and honored. A man of peace is someone who you would say has great moral authority in their community. They're a connector. They have a gift of hospitality. And, and they are often part of the foundation of the advance of the kingdom of God. You know, I know as I go back and look at my church planting journeys, I, I always remember that a key success point was identifying those key leaders that became the foundation pillars of the church. And, and I, I was just fondly remembering, you know, obviously Russ Yeager helped plant the first church. And I realize now, had he not come into my life, uh, there would have been no uh, Jesus Chapel, Northeast El Paso. He, he was an elder and he carried great moral authority. Uh, later on, there was these people, Henry March, uh, Tony Chacon, others. In the same way, when it came to planting the church in Las Cruces, many times I'll say, I had a lot of preaching points and did a lot of ministry, but it was when people like Bruce Jackson and Ron Pelzell came into my life and they had the gift of eldering that the church then took root and, and really began to take off. So I'm just challenging, pray for that those people of, of influence that will really become the, the partners, the, the hidden heroes of your church ministry, the elders. Uh, Psalm 37, 37 says, mark the blameless man for the man of peace will live, leave a posterity. In other words, I believe you should always have in your back pocket a picture of that man of peace. You're always looking for a potential elder because that's how a legacy is built. That's how a ministry is raised up and continues even beyond your lifetime is that you find those people who have the gift to govern an elder. Now, here's some biblical assumptions about governance. I believe that good governance allows the senior pastor to have as much freedom as possible, but as much accountability as needed. We believe in what we call here a pastor-led, elder-governed church. There are different kinds of churches, and not everyone agrees, and I'm not saying this is biblical doctrine. Some organizations are Presbyterian-led. It's really the board of elders that has all the authority. Others, we know, are, are completely leader-led. They're, uh, they're sometimes even a one-man show. I believe that there's problems with both of those models, that it's easy to go to one or extreme, one or extreme or the other. One extreme would be what I would, would call a tendency for there to be a uh, like I say, a overbearing leader that's unaccountable. The other would be too much political influence and bureaucracy that does, doesn't allow the freedom and creativity. What we believe in is that good leadership of a church is a, is a credible balance of both. Um, I believe that 
Generally speaking, the Lord gives a person, a senior leader, the vision, but that vision then must be confirmed, clarified, and executed by a leadership team, sometimes called boards or, or elder bodies or so forth. I like to say this, and I want to speak to those of you who are called to be senior leaders. The most important job of a senior leader is to receive, communicate, and implement vision. They are responsible before God for the ultimate direction of the church and the see that it moves forward that, towards that goal with integrity. You know, of all the things that I can do in the church, uh, you know, the most important thing is not necessarily even preaching. It's not the most important thing that I counsel people. The most important thing is how I hear from God, how I clarify and define the direction that the Holy Spirit is leading, how I get the buy-in and confirmation through my other leaders, and then how I lead the charge uh, to fulfilling the vision. Um, we see that, and I'll just say it this way, a great church is one that has a very effective leader speaking the vision, but has an incredible surrounding team of servant leaders who confirm that, who hear God with that person, and then help implement that in a lot of ways. Two examples of this model of leadership uh, I think the obvious one is Exodus 18, 19 to 23, where, where Moses was given his job description by his father-in-law Jethro. It was very clear that Moses was to give vision. And he talks about that. Your first job is to pray, hear from God, uh, select leaders, teach the word, and, and make effective decisions to keep everyone moving towards the goal. Uh, in Titus, I read that earlier, Paul said to Titus, Titus, your, your most important job, though, is, is you're to lead, and in your leading, you're to, set, to select elders to support that uh, direction. So good governance, next, is based on the assumption that Jesus is the head of the church and that hearing and confirming what God is saying is the chief responsibility of those in charge. Now, I just say this because you know, many people think of boards and they think of, of businesses and corporations, and certainly there are a lot of comparisons. The difference in a church or a ministry is that we believe Jesus is the head of the church. We're not just trying to be the smartest, fastest, biggest, or something like that. We have one chief responsibility, and that's to discern the will of he, him who is the head of the church. Remember, Jesus builds his church. And our job is to hear from God and, and cooperate in pursuing the will of God. That's what a leadership team does. It discerns and pursues the will of God uh, to, together. Again, here are some, some basic ways that that happens. We see in the book of Acts, chapter 13, elders and, and the senior leader, Paul He's the one who had the vision to go uh, plant churches all over the Middle East. And yet we see him go to the church there in Antioch and he submits his vision, he and Barnabas. And the Bible says that as the elders and prophets fasted and ministered to the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Paul and Barnabas and send them to the work that they called them to do. 
Again, you have senior leadership and confirming elders. But what I love about this is that what they saw as their first responsibility was not to come up with a good master plan, but it was to wait on the Lord. And then to hear and get confirmation together in one accord of what the will of God was for them to do. Um, again, how, how do you do that? Um, I believe here's the key gifts of people who are called to leadership teams or boards or elder teams. Number one is, is the ability to operate in what I call revelation and wisdom. Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. I, I love that. This is two different things, and they are complementary. In other words, if you're going to give good leadership to the church, you have to have revelation. You have to hear God's voice. You have to, to sense the Holy Spirit is speaking. But you also need good wisdom, the ability to, to make sense of what God's saying and how to implement what God is saying in specific programs and directions. Um, that also involves, secondly, you have to be extremely, uh, what I would call relationally centered. Good leaders, again, I wanna give you the picture of this. A good leader is not just going up and hearing from God you know, one, one of the ways you know you're not a good leader is if you're making all the decisions. <laughs> uh, because I can guarantee you that you're not good at making all of the decisions. Your job is to hear from God and, and then get as many people to help you in how to implement what you're hearing and clarify it and confirm it. And, and that involves sharing decision-making uh, in that process too. I just love, this is a leadership principle. I, I heard this principle and I thought it was really good. It's called the principle of the incomplete leader. Well, what is the incomplete leader? And a lot of people think, well, an incomplete leader is someone who's not smart enough, fast enough, uh, good enough at motivating or whatever. And the answer is no, an incomplete leader is a leader who doesn't have the team around him to or her to make up for all the things they're not good at. Nobody has enough within themselves to be good enough to lead a growing organization. We all have limits. There's some things I'm good at. There's a whole, whole bunch of things I'm really not good at. And so if I'm the only one making decisions and figuring things out, the organization's gonna fail. My, my goal is to set the direction and get the best feedback and best people thinking about it. Uh, I love what John Maxwell said. Some of the greatest thinking I've ever done has been done by other people. And I, I would say almost all the best thinking I've ever done was done by somebody else. And so at the heart of a good leader is the humility to say, yes, God's given me a direction. Now I need to get as many smart, creative, God-hearing people around me uh, to describe this and, and define it so it becomes good direction. This requires... A, an environment where a board or a team meets for an open discussion, even debate, where, where there is a relational environment where decisions are put on trial and how to implement them and the 
best idea wins. You know, I have a general direction, but most of the time I don't have the best idea on how to implement that direction. And so this idea of a leadership team, here's how I describe it. They're, they're a group of people open and eager for debate and diversity of opinions and perspectives. They passionately are committed to corporate accomplishment. I like that word, a corporate accomplishment. Good leadership teams know how to disagree agreeably. Uh, I loved what one person told me. Uh, you know, he was in a board meeting with the CEO and he wasn't paying too much attention. And all of a sudden, the, the CEO turned to him and said, Mark, tell me what you think about that. And, uh, and this guy, Mark, said, well, President, whatever you think is best, I agree with you. You know, he's just trying to get off the hook. And the president looked at him and said, you know what? If you and I have the same opinion about everything, one of us is unnecessary. In other words, he got the idea. Uh, no, I'm not looking for yes men. I'm looking for the most opinions as possible to find the best one available. So in these, these board meetings, you don't want anyone to hold back or feel intimidated. If anyone sits there and say, well, I had an opinion, but I was afraid to say it, that's a failure. Uh, you don't have to hold back or feel like, oh, I'm overstepping my bounds. No, every opinion is valued. There's a patience and a willingness to operate on the principle of unity. I love that phrase. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Now we get to Acts 15. Now we had Acts 13, but let me refer to Acts 15. It's when the leadership of the early church gets together to debate about whether Gentiles coming to Christ needed to be circumcised, needed to become Jews. And there's this huge debate and everybody's going back and forth and, and that's encouraged. And, and then at the end, it says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to all of us. In other words, corporately together, they took the time to come to a, a point of agreement that was confirmed in the midst of them. I love it when the Holy Spirit does that. And, and, and he, he, you know, what it means though is often that in the middle of a discussion, maybe even a heated discussion, you just stop and you say, you know what? We need to step back from this. We're, we're butting heads and we're not getting her. What I'm talking right now can help somebody in their marriage. <laughs> I don't know if any of you married a strong partner like I did, but but there's, there's probably always 10 opinions for both of us. And yet God uses that beautifully, you know, in almost every decision. Sharon's either the gas pedal or the brake. I'm the other, but eventually we get at the right speed. But here's the idea you're willing to go through a process of good discussion, good debate, strong voices, coming to an agreement about what the Holy Spirit is saying. Uh, here's another thing. There has to be maturity, integrity, and, and the team has to have each other's back. Now, this is so huge. I like to say it this way. There will be many strong voices in this boardroom, but when we leave this room, there's only gonna be one voice. If you wanna tear your church apart, have people go to the boardroom and, they, and leave and then someone asks them, well, what did you all decide? Well, we decided this, but I told them I thought this was better. You know, you blew it. You just divided. You just 
out of bounds, you know, throw the flag, 15-yard penalty. No, we're going to have lively debate. But when we leave that room, we are one voice to the people that we lead. Now, the key to that is having a very secure senior leader who doesn't come across with that, I, I, that attitude, my way or the highway, but is someone who willingly, boldly declares what they think God is saying, but earnestly seeks the best of others' thoughts. And then at the end, based on, on the best confirmation, chooses the, the best way to implement that direction with the wisdom of that board. Now, here's some suggestions uh, for setting up and operating as elders who govern the church. Number one key is choosing the right people. Um, this, as a senior leader, is one of your number one roles, is you are to identify, invite, raise up elders. It should be always your first thought to increase those people. First Timothy, uh, excuse me, Titus 1, 5 through 7 and 2 Timothy 3 give us the qualifications of an elder, and I'd encourage you to think a lot about it. But let me summarize them. Number one, proven character. They are seasoned. They've been through the fire. Um, they aren't reactionary. They have what we call moral authority. That is huge, you know. Um, you know, Paul says, don't, don't have new converts. Don't have, they may be smart. They may have run a Fortune 500 business, but that doesn't make them an elder. If they don't yet have that proven character where they've been humbled, where, where they've, they've learned to control their emotions and their temper, they're seasoned by God, then they can lead in a poor way. Number two, they are relationally intelligent and successful. Again, as I've described, governance is, is a skill of relational intelligence working together, and it requires people who can give and take and put themselves in another person's shoes and, and really uh, work towards positive agreement. What the Bible says is you can tell a lot about a future elder by how they relate to their family. He says, look at their kids, look at their, look at their marriage. Uh, if they're relationally intelligent, they work things out well with their family, and that's a key. Number th three, they flow. They flow with hard discussions. They're able to, as I said, be patient in dialogue and give or take. Number four, they demonstrate good stewardship. They tithe. They're faithful. Uh, make sure you check their tithing. Make sure you, you know they manage money good because that's huge in the role of an elder because they're overseeing the assets of the church. They are passionate about God and they hear his voice as well as having good wisdom, as I already described. They're not just smart business people. They are spirit-filled leaders at the same time. They are transparent and don't have personal agendas. They don't need to control. Be very careful if they are people who will talk behind others' back. They will try to manipulate in any way. That's a great warning sign. Those are some, some key things. So the idea is that you have a process by which they're tested and trained. Uh, have, have, do you have some kind of a pipeline? And, and for us, we have growth tracks. We have being a leader in a small group. We have serving in a ministry. We have all of these things, membership requirements. 
all so that we can kind of see, okay, who are people that fit in that pool of potential elders and leaders? Um, here, here's some, some important other things. When you set up an elder board, let me just say this in advance, especially as a church gets bigger, I believe that you have to organize your elder bodies in a, in a different way. Um, when I first started, you know, planting a church, it, it was me and a couple of elders, but it was also the elders of the church that sent me out for the first uh, for the first few years of both of my church plants, instead of choosing elders before I really knew them, I, I chose people that, that were potential elders, but then I made sure that I had already seasoned relationships of elders from the previous church. So here's, here's what I believe and recommend that as a church grows, you should think of three kinds of elders or governing bodies in a church. Number one, you might call overseeing elders or apostolic elders. And, and these are seasoned pastors, perhaps outside of the local church for the senior leader to give account, be accountable to. I, I found this very, you know, many years ago, I chose a, a pastor, one lives in Oklahoma, one lives in California, but, but they are incredible uh, wise. They've done it for decades. And they are like people I am personally accountable to. Now, where these uh, apostolic elders come in is especially key if the church goes into a crisis. You know, if the board wants to fire the senior pastor or, or the senior pastor is being accused uh, by some board members or other elders of indiscrepancies, I find if you don't have some outside authority, it's easy for things to blow up in a church. And so apostolic elders have a specific role when it comes to dealing with the senior pastor and helping him. Uh, secondly, you have what I would call the, uh, the non-staff operational elder body. Some would refer to them as trustees. These are people from the church that are specifically there to oversee things like budget and assets and to hold the church pastor and staff accountable for how they handle things like money and decisions that affect the bigger picture of the church. And this, these are really important people. In, in fact, uh, as much as possible, they, they make the big financial decision or they set the budget or they at least are, are key to how the pastor can make budget decisions. And they guide and, and protect in a beautiful way. And then the third, you might call them staff elders. As a church gets bigger, it's impossible for a volunteer elder to be involved in all the ins and outs that's going on in the church. And literally over a season of time, there are two or three of the staff that really are primarily responsible to help the senior leader in making pastoral decisions, directional decisions, uh, that, to go deep in the weeds. And, and those are elders, however you want to call them, are, are key. And all three of those can work together in solving different problems. And we could go a long time into that. But I just wanted to point that out. Now here, quickly going, are keys to leading boards and elders. Number one, 
Take time to work meticulously on your bylaws and constitution, things that help you spell out the roles, expectations, how things are going to be handled if things go wrong. We always say the best way to avoid a misunderstanding is to have a good understanding. If, if you will take time, and there's great examples of bylaws and constitutions. As you're forming your church, read a whole bunch of different ones and, and come up with what you say. Hey, wow, if this happens, this is what we do. If that happens, that is what we do. And, and so you have a great set of bylaws um, that is huge and so important. Number two, have well-planned board meetings with clear agendas and agreements about how the board meetings are run and how the decisions will be made. Uh, a good decision-making process is key to making good decisions. And so when you set up your board meeting, don't let them be haphazard. Don't let them be, oh, we're going to get together at Denny's and shoot the breeze and try to remember what. <laughs> no, no, no. These are, are things that you prepare. And, and what, what involves a good decision-making process? Number one, there's going to be time. They're going to know the agenda ahead of time. They're going to be time to pray and reflect. Um, you prepare that agenda effectively. So as we prepare the agenda, you know, I'll meet with the chairman of our board and, and we work hard to figure out exactly what needs to be discussed at our board meetings. Another important thing I feel like is, is figuring out how you want the decisions to be vetted. So a, a very good idea is to set the agenda with things for discussion and things for decision. Don't rush decisions, especially if they're about important matters. Say, for this month, we have our agenda of things we want to discuss. We're not going to have to make a decision. See, if you're forced to make a decision, it often pressures you and, and you make shooting from the hip come to pass. So what you're going to do is you're going to say, okay, we've, we've already been praying about this, but we're going to pray about this for this month. But let's discuss it and let's look at all the angles. And so these are the things that we're discussing and uh, and it's and then the next month it's on the agenda for a decision. Go through the next step is if this is a complicated issue, have task forces that work through, do get deep in the weeds of the discussion. For example, obviously you can't just pull together a budget in a board meeting. You need a budget committee, or you need what we have a missions committee to really look at what we're going to support and work through that every year and, and bring their findings to the board. Uh, other things, committee as it relates to building facilities, other things. But decide how you're going to get the research done and, and the background work ahead of time to make key and important decisions. Uh, and then, again, be sure that you have all the facts and then make the decision in most cases, that decision, again, I believe the senior leader sets the agenda. That's just the way it is. I believe the senior leader is always the, the person, the president of the board. Another person can be the chairman, but that, that's just my preference. But all of that is a part of this. And then at the end of it, make sure that you've clarified the next steps to implementing that decision and what you're going to report back on at the next board meeting. 
I want to just say briefly here, and I'm putting a bunch of stuff out here because I'm hoping this leads to discussion with pastors where they especially have a need. But one of the biggest parts of that operational elder board is the uh, work on the budget. And especially as a church grows, uh, the budget's a big thing. When I first planted the church, it wasn't a very big thing because it was like, wow, we just barely have enough to pay the bills every every week or month. But but then when when it becomes a bigger thing, uh, and, and it takes a lot more work. But what I want to say about the budget of a church is how you develop that budget is is really a great opportunity not simply to develop accountability but to improve and 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 test and measure the effectiveness of the programs that that budget is financing um i believe that you should have a very good process that you know as each department or whatever gets their budget there should be a meeting of that department to look at how that money was spent, make recommendations of what you would like the budget to be that will be presented to the board. Now, here's a key thing. What I think is missed in many churches is asking hard questions at the time of the budget. Basically, did we get our bang for the buck? The Bible says every tree that bears fruit is pruned. And and the best way to look at ministries is, is one of the best ways is during that whole budget process and say, okay, we spent you know $50,000 on kids ministry. Which of the kids programs produce fruit? Has that program already run out of its shelf life? Should we cut that? Or man, did that program increase the fruit by 50? But we need to add more money there. Maybe we take some money out of, you know, out of the building budget and we put it over in the kids budget because one, it represents our priorities, you know, and that's a huge part of leadership is what is the priorities of your church? For us, winning kids to Jesus is a bigger priority than having sweet carpet in the sanctuary. So all the time of the budget is looking at priorities and, and money tells us a story and money, you know, you put your money where your mouth is and you say, is the money trail uh, defining what we want to be as an organization. I also just want to close by saying, use the process of defining elders. We have a rotating elder board. Uh, part of that is we believe that raising up elders is a pipeline. These become future church planners, ministry leaders. And so over a three-year period of time, we're, or every year we're bringing new people in and other people are, are moving out. Think strategically and long-term because, wow, I believe that being on an elder board is great training for young leaders. So I'm looking for younger leaders and, and say, come on, during, take a three-year stint, but use this as a key part of your discipleship time so that you become future. You know, you know once you finish on the board, you're still an elder. It doesn't mean you're not an elder, but now you just are elder over a ministry area versus official board member. So anyhow, just some stuff there for thought and discussion. God bless you. Build great organization, govern well, and watch God use your church. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Pastor Dale's Leadership Podcast. It is our hope that you have been inspired in a great way. 
We encourage you to stay tuned for future content. May God bless you richly.